much recycling as you want to take. So for students out there who find that their trash fills up pretty quickly, I know we all have a lot of roommates, um, the recycling program is great because you can put as much recycling out there as you want and the city of East Lansing can pick it up, of course, given um, that it's the correct type of material to be recycled, but um, I found it really great for me. (laughs) Now, what kind of materials are included in this recycling program? Um, Well, the city recycles um, most types of of plastic, but they're marked and they um, will say that they're recyclable. The city also provides um, directions for students on what can be recycled. Students can find that information through the Internet or other resources um, by contacting the City of East Lansing Reducing Our Waste program as well. And there are comprehensive lists where students can just hang that up on their refrigerator or something and say, here, I can recycle this this," and separate it then right when they're throwing things in the garbage. Okay. Do you think you'll do an event like this next year as well? Do you find it helpful for students? Um, Yes, definitely. We thought that it was very successful. Um, I mean, with distributing 62 bins, most students tend to have, it's quite common to have two or more roommates. So, you know, that's almost 200 more people that are recycling in East Lansing. Now, um, do they still, you said the problem was that the um, recycling center was too far away, you know, people had to drive to get there. Um, is Do people still have that option to be able to put their recycling materials somewhere? Um, well, the bins can always be purchased mm-hmm. through the city of East Lansing. They do need to drive there to get the bins, okay. but it's just a one-time um, purchase, and then once okay. they have the bins, they can set them out with their trash throughout the year. All right. So and they, if they move, they can take their bin with them, too. All right. So it was a bin giveaway to help right. recycle. <laughs> now, Lauren, you were involved in this program. What, are, what, are, what were your thoughts about it? I thought it was a really good idea. I deal mostly with on-campus recycling, so I would say representing the MSU Recycling as well as the Office of Campus Sustainability, and so I was talking about what was recyclable on campus, but um, too often I think, um, you know, we have all of these on-campus programs, but we need to look also further at the people who live um, in the city of East Lansing or or Lansing or any of those surrounding neighborhoods and make sure that students take the message that we're trying to give them on campus home with them and uh, doing the recycling part at home as well. So I thought it was a very successful and worthwhile event. Um, Also, I think it's important to mention that two of the bins were free at this event, so it was great for everyone involved to get a free bin close to campus. Now, for people who live off campus, I know that there's recycling in the dorms, and I've been seeing those big green bins on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're put out for football games or whatever, but um, what are other options? So let me rephrase the sentence. So if you live off campus, you mm-hmm. can either purchase those bins or you know bring your bag to campus and just find a bin somewhere else. I mean, what are the other options that people who are living off campus have to be able to recycle? Well, if you are living off campus in the city of East Lansing, Lansing, Okemos, or anywhere, really, I know some students commute as far away as Flint, pretty much every municipality in Michigan right now has some sort of recycling program. Um, Some rural areas do not have curbside pickup, but there's often drop-offs available. Um, So one way to figure out uh, where you can recycle online is um, simply... um, 
getting in touch with your local representative or maybe going to your web through the website. And often there's information just like on the city of East Lansing's website um, about the recycling and reuse program. And you can figure out more information about what exactly is recyclable within your community. It does change from place to place, um, such as East Lansing started paperboard recycling before Lansing started it. Um, and you will find that there's certain variations in terms of what's picked up when, and then also seasonal collections of Christmas trees and cardboard and things of that nature. Um, but starting in fall 2009, when our new recycling facility is built on campus, we will have a public drop-off area for anyone, um, whether you're a student, faculty, or staff member, community member, um, anyone who comes to campus can drop off their recyclables at our new recycling facility. And where would that recycling facility be located? The new recycling facility will be located on farm and service on a road yet to be named, probably called Green Avenue or Greenway or something oh, nice. like that. <laughs> um, they're still going through a contest process to figure that out. But um, that should be open around September 2009. But the public drop-off area we expect to be open as soon as July 2009. So now I'm from a rural area, and so mm -hmm. this curbside pickup thing is very foreign to me. We just kind of would, you know, drive somewhere, and we'd have our newspapers, and we'd have our cans, and we have to, you know, separate everything and throw them in a big bin. Um, is there anything like that um, around the Lansing area that people can go to? Oh, definitely. There's um, a drop-off area for the city of East Lansing. We almost should have had Dave Smith on the show mm -hmm. tonight to talk more about this. He's the recycling coordinator um, for um, East Lansing. But there's a recycling drop-off on State Road, and then mm -hmm. there's also a new recycling drop-off area. Um, you'll have to help me, Olivia. It's on Bircham. Um I know that, to clarify for people who are interested, there it is listed on the website. Um, but the great thing about the drop-off sites to to recycle materials is that they accept more materials than you can just leave on your curb. Oh. So if you do have that list that says these are the things that can be recycled through the City of East Lansing curbside pickup, they also list the things that are not um, able to be recycled through curbside pickup but that you can take up to take to the drop-off sites. And list literature will also list where those sites are. Um, like Lauren said, Dave Smith is a great person to get in contact with. If you contact the City of East Lansing and ask for him, he deals with most um, really all of the recycling issues in East Lansing. Now there's a website that has the lists of what um, you can... It's recite. just, yep, if you just look up the City of East Lansing online, okay. um, it's, it should all be on there. All right. A great example of what Olivia's talking about in terms of drop-off, having more <laughs> items than curbside is um, at the drop-off on State Road, for example, in East Lansing, which is, if you just go up Abbott, then it turns into Chandler, and then it's a left onto State Road. They have... Um, recycling a fishing line, and that's something you'll not find at the curbside recycling, but that's mm -hmm. something that you can recycle at the drop-off, doing kind of the procedure you talked about in terms of bringing each item and separating it. Right. Now, I have a question. For something like plastic bags, for example, and you're seeing a lot of people going into um, grocery stores like Meyer or Kroger, and they have, you know, their mesh bags that are meant for you use it every time you come. Um, to try to um, lower the use of plastic bags, because I heard that it actually takes more energy to produce a plastic to recycle a plastic bag than it is to produce a new one. So, in instances like that, is it better to throw plastic bags away, or is it better to recycle them? Well, I would say, um, as always, that landfill is usually the last result resort mm -hmm. for any sort of item. So, when you're putting Sending your things to landfill, you're basically sending it to an enclosed grave where it will sit 
pretty much into whatever in thousand years from now. Um, there's been studies where they've done actually drill cores, much like they do for the Arctic ice to figure out climate change. They'll do this of landfills, and they'll find that they can find a perfectly readable newspaper from the 1950s with a half-eaten hot dog on it. And so these landfills are not decomposing uh, compost heaps. They're areas that have no oxygen, so it's all methane eating bacteria. So when you send things to the landfill, you're really sending them there to stay for a long time. So anything that you can do to keep things out of the landfill is better. So reducing your waste is the first step. So like you said, having your mesh bags at the grocery store. And then if you can't do that or you had any nodular alternative for using. So using that plastic bag to carry your lunch in case it spills out in your backpack. I know this happened to me before. Mm-hmm. You know, using it to cover your bike seat. Right. Um, you can even b- get creative with it. Um, you can even take plastic bags, stretch them out, make them into yarn, and knit something out of it. I've done that before. Into yarn? Mm-hmm. And you can do multiple things with plastic bags. You know, you can even you can cover multiple things. You can iron it. There's a new thing online by Target about how to iron seven layers of a plastic bag and make it into a belt. So you could do things like that. And then the last resort would be to recycle it. So the most convenient um, plastic bag recycling place on East Lansing area that I've found happens to be Walmart. So Walmart does accept plastic bags in terms of recycling. But that I would only see as a last resort. And um, the more disastrous alternative, of course, is throwing it in the trash. Right, so that whole process of reducing, then reusing, and then recycling takes place there. Um, now back to Olivia. How did, um, you know, with your recycling program, I know you're um, involved with the Center on Energy and the Environment for the Roosevelt Institution. Did that have any role to play in your recycling program? Well, absolutely. Um, as the director for the Center on Energy and Environment, I have spent a over a year working with a group of students that are interested in environmental issues, and these students provided the support to be able to coordinate this um, event. Uh, The event sort of started with a conversation as we discussed the issue that it's difficult sometimes for students to obtain bins, so we said, you know, this could be something that easy that we could do. The need is there, so let's provide these bins for students. so uh, the other students that are members of the Roosevelt Institution Center on Energy and the Environment helped staff the event and were there to provide materials to people who came. Now, can you tell me a little bit about the Center on Energy and the Environment for the Roosevelt Institution? Sure. Our center um, is just a third of the centers that make up the Michigan State University chapter, and we also have a center on government reform, and we have a center on international development. With this organization, it is mainly about empowering the student voice. The na- it's part of a larger national organization, and the main um, purpose of the of the organization is to provide support for students to research issues that they are concerned about and that they're interested in, and then write their um, perspectives on policy and researching and talking to professionals in the area. Um, so our program is still pretty new. We're in our third year, and last year we had a membership of probably about 15 members, and so many people have been interested that we've really doubled that number this year. Um, Last year we did a lot of research on wind turbines for Michigan and looking at that on an economic analysis, Um, but I've just found it as an awesome organization because 
I feel that I'm able to really voice my concerns to the community. Yeah, I was I was just reading the state news actually yesterday, um, and it was saying that someone who was involved with um, the Roosevelt Institution and specifically on energy and the environment actually wrote something um, about wind turbines and um, specifically for wind energy applications for schools and um, the state legislation is actually um, thinking about incorporating that idea. So I think that that's, that's crazy that a um, college student can come up with these ideas and they can actually start being implemented at the state level or maybe even national level. Um, do you know of any other um, examples of people you know, that are involved in this program and actually making a difference in legislation or policies? Um, absolutely. That's really what the Roosevelt Institution is about. Um, I'd just like to mention a couple more points about that person. His name is Corey Connolly. Mm-hmm. He is a member of our center. And last year, like I said, we were doing some research on, on wind turbines. And so Corey, because he did a lot of research, really had a great knowledge base um, and said, you know what, I'm interested in this topic. Where else can we go from here? And then he did more individual research and thought, you know, I can apply this right to Michigan law. So he's been working with a representative and um, it looks good that his opinions and his ideas are going to be um, carried on, like you said. Um, But our organization, it hasn't just, it's basically is based around policy, but we really have a lot of different ways that youth are able to be empowered because um, youth get their ideas published We have public speaking events where students can go to different conferences and network with other professional youth. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with the recycling initiative, that was really another branch of Roosevelt because that was the first time that I have been involved directly with an activism project. So because we mainly do it around um, what students are interested in on researching, um, but with that program we said, you know what, we see a need, let's apply ourselves too. So we are really about students identifying where there might be a problem or where something can be improved and then acting on that. So whether it's a level from providing somebody with a recycling bin for them to put it out on their yard or, in Corey's case, going to talk to a representative, um, we see ourselves being able to function in either of those capacities. Yeah, that's amazing that the, that people are really acting on these because so often, you know, like, um, you know, especially with the elections coming around, people are arguing about different, you know, uh, policies that people have. Um, and people have, you know, well, what if what if this could happen? Or I think it'd be better if it, if it was this way. But how, um, how I've been understanding how this um, actually works out is people have these ideas. It could work better this way, you know, whether it's about... Um, education or the environment or energy or um, anything like that. People have these ideas, how they can be fixed, write it out, and policymakers actually consider it, which is, which I think is unbelievable. I think that's really great. Um, so, and also, um, Corey Connolly's, his work about, on um, wind turbines was a part of the 25 Ideas for Community Development, um, which I believe is a publication that comes out, is it yearly? Um... The Roosevelt Institution comes out with yearly publications, but they also do things um, with semesters, too. So uh, that particular publication was a yearly publication, and it was a national publication. Um, we've been published in regional publications as well. Mm-hmm. So 
last spring there was an event at the University of Michigan, um, and we attended and spoke to people about our research that we had accomplished. Um, and then we were published in a program called the Great Stakes for the Great Lakes. So there are different um, different publications, and they don't all come out at the same time, but that was a yearly publication, yes. And I noticed that um, in in this publication, the 25 Ideas for Community Development, it wasn't just about the environment, but it was about um, it was about like education. It was about um, there was there was one titled "Preventing L- or GLBT um, Motivated Hate Crimes Via Education." Um, there was one about community-run rooftop gardens, um, and then there was there was titles about you know dealing with the mortgage crises, new tax structures, and community development and health care. <laughs> That's just a very, like, a wide span of stuff, so it's not just about um, education and the environment. If people are interested, you know, if so many people have, young people have ideas, where can people go for more information to get involved in um, something like this? Um, well, just to, um, again, clarify, like you said, that it, there really seems endless where people can go, so... That we do have these different centers, but they are just function as helping to link students who have may have similar interests, but because they're so broad, um, really anybody could get involved who think that they might have a good idea. Our chapter president is Dan Blue, and he is an international relations major in James Madison College and can answer people's questions. All right. And now what is your role um, with the Center on Energy and Environmental and Environment for the Roosevelt Institution? I'm the director for our center. Um, and my role really is to coordinate the students within our center. Um, and a lot of that is just keeping us scheduled and trying to coordinate our ideas so that some of our projects we work on as a group and other projects that we do individually. Um, but just sort of taking a lead with the, the, the students there. Mm-hmm. And um, how long has um, the Roosevelt Institution been, al- been around for? Um, it's a relatively new organization, but like I said, we're in our third year at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And um, how many other universities are involved with this program? Oh, gosh. Um, it's quite extensive, but there are organizations all across the U.S. I'm not sure the exact number, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> okay. Um, now, also, there was um, a fall policy expo. Is that through the Roosevelt Institution? Yes, it was a Roosevelt Institution-sponsored event, and our policy featured the pieces that were published last year. Um, We did a piece on international development and and then a piece on energy and the environment. Um, We featured panels with different professionals who came in and could speak about the topics there and just answered students' questions, but a big function of that program was to really introduce ourselves to the MSU community because we are young, but we wanted to say, hey, we have this great program going on. It was sort of like encouraging people to get involved, but also displaying some of our past successes. All right. Now, is there anything else that you want to talk about regarding the recycling program or the Roosevelt Institution now that we're wrapping up? Um, Well, I just want to reiterate that the Roosevelt Institution is really about empowering this untapped resource that students are. Um, There are so many Michigan State is such a large campus, um, and we have all these great resources. We have professional, or I'm sorry, we have professors, and we have all these books and all this 
great things in front of us. So, and with these minds there, it's really just a means of getting together and saying, let's, we have these great ideas. Let's put them into writing. Let's put them into policy. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Olivia, for coming in. Again, for those who have tuned in, um, I was talking with Olivia Cohn and um, Lauren Olson. Olivia Cohn is um, the director for the Center on Energy and the Environment for the Roosevelt Institution. And up next, I'll be talking more with Lauren Olson about um, sustainability at MSU. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. You're tuned into Impact Exposure. Right now, I'm here with Lauren Olson from the Office of Campus Sustainability. Um, and she's going to talk about um, MSU becoming more sustainable and what else people can do to help lower our energy usage. Now, Lauren, tell me about what you do um, in the Office of Campus Sustainability. Well, I'm a project coordinator, and the two projects that I lead up right now are, one, I recruit and train environmental stewards in every department and every building on campus. These are full-time employees, so they're either clerical technical staff, um, custodians, and faculty, as well as other academic staff on campus. And I train about uh, waste reduction, energy conservation, recycling, and um, purchasing of recycled and other green uh, materials here on campus. Now, where do you think MSU rates as far as being um, a like, sustainable campus? Well, MSU is doing pretty well right now. According to a recent report guide by the Sustainable Endowments Institute, we got a B. So a B, you know, it ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of different rankings have come out recently, and um, they're kind of convoluted into the terms of where they actually come from. And I know ASHI, which is um, the Advancing Education of Sustainability in Higher Education, is coming out with a new ranking called STARS that we're hoping to participate in shortly. Now, I was reading um, there was a few things that were listed on um, how MSU's um, been committed to sustainability. And of those is that um, MSU is a, participa a participant in the Chicago Climate Exchange, the world's first greenhouse gas emi emission registry, mm -hmm. um, and that MSU is the lowest, um, has the lowest electrical consumption per square foot among the Big Ten universities. That's um, right. And MSU has a variety of academic programs and research initiatives related to sustainability. And also, um, the MSU is five times, has five times more courses on sustainable sustainability 
um, that were offered this year compared to 2000. And a new sustainability specialization is in the pipeline open to all undergraduates. Mm -hmm. Are there any other examples that you can um, provide um, to, to, I guess, prove that MSU is becoming more sustainable? Well, you just listed a lot there. <laughs> um, but I think some of the things that we look around and we see every day, when, especially when students are walking to class, just shows that we're really making an effort. Um, if you just look back to even where we were last year, um, an obvious example what we've been talking about today, the increase of recycling bins around campus, and we're hoping to expand that program to even more materials once the new facility is open. Um, another thing that you might notice is near the Red Cedar, there are um, areas that are called um, they're protected wildlife areas, and so these areas aren't mowed anymore. They used to be mowed and um, also subjected to whatever fertilizers or pesticides, but now they're kept natural near the the riverways. That way wildlife can enjoy them, and also that way we have a little bit more prairie kind of wild area here on campus. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes, you know, we get um, a little longing for that wilderness when we're in class all the time or what have you. So it's good that we're doing things like that. And um, another example is the football tailgating. Um, we have even more recycling bins and we're trying to increase our um, amount of sustainability that's infused with the football um, every year. So this is our first start, our first stab kind of at um, trying that. So we had um, recycling at every home game and as well as we honored some environmental stewards at the first home game in September. Oh, very nice. So I've been noticing that there's um, some construction going on in campus um, with various um, dorms, and I know that I've lived um, in the older complex on campus, um, and I know we have issues like, let's say it's winter time, and you're trying to adjust the heat, and a little bit does a lot, mm -hmm. and our windows, they don't shut all the way, so you get all this cold air coming in, so you want to turn your heat up. Um, in, in frustrations like that, that probably don't exactly help the sustainability um, issue. So um, with the new um, facilities that are being built on campus, are, are there kind of new ways that we're thinking about building um, to encourage sustainability? Oh, definitely. I mean, when some of these older buildings were built, um, sustainability was not at the forefront, nor energy efficiency had really even become a mm -hmm. term that people tossed around. Um, I work in building Olds Hall, for example, right next to the library, and it has single-pane windows that are extremely large for a climate like ours that has um, extreme winters. And also all of the buildings on campus and most big buildings um, in general are built to be closed buildings. So they're, they're meant to be envelopes. So they're not meant for you to open your window like you do in your house. They're meant for your window to stay closed and, and for air conditioning to take over that control and for ventilation to be controlled and for heating to be controlled. Um, so we have a lot of confusion sometimes on campus and to um, people have different personal preferences, as well as different buildings have different things going on with their um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning systems that cause different things to happen. Like, for example, if a hall was made in such a way that the air travels from the basement to the top floor, the basement's going to get subjected to the most extremes, extreme cold or extreme heat. And um, sadly, that's just the way some of the buildings were built here on campus. But we are going through a retrofitting process and a recommissioning process to uh, try to change that. Um, and we're doing a tri triaging the buildings on campus slowly with our um, constricted budget. 
Now, um, I see in a lot of buildings, you'll see that that little sticker that has the yellow light bulb, and it mm -hmm. says, why waste under every single light switch? Um, and those are just kind of little reminders to say, you know, we can, if we all work together, we can lower energy use. Right. What are other things on campus that people can do um, to help create, you know, more sustainability? Well, another big thing is energy use. So turning off your computer when you're not using it. So I'm not saying if you're going to go to, you know, the restroom for, or just go talk on the phone for 15 minutes, you have to turn off your computer. But if you're going to leave for, you know, an hour, or if you're just done with your classes for the day, or you're going to bed at sleep at night, there's no reason to have your computer on. So the best thing to do for both the life of your computer as well as for saving energy is just to turn your computer off. And another thing that's really happened on campus, unfortunately, um, is most students are uh, converting to laptop computers, which draw a lot less energy than desktop computers. But still, our energy is on the rise just due to the reliance on com computing and almost you know, all of your classes as well as the increase of computers on campus. Um, our energy has increased dramatically since the 1950s, not surprisingly, due to all the technology now that we're using. But the point is now that using our technology effectively. So also putting power management on your computer, so saying that it falls asleep after maybe 15 minutes and that the hard drive um, goes into hibernation mode maybe after 30 minutes. Whatever suits your personal preference, but whatever people can do in order to help save us our energy bills. So. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about sustainability, and they said basically what sustainability means is going back to the olden days, you know, and we didn't have all this technology. We're just doing the same things that they did. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, we do have all this new technology, and I feel like we're becoming a lot more aware of the repercussions of using a lot of energy or, let's say, driving your car all the time and, and things like that. Um, and on campus, you see those yellow light bulbs um, under every light switch that say, why waste? Or mm -hmm. there's a bunch of water bottles handed out that said, be Spartan green, mm -hmm. trying to um, promote this, you know, go green image, um, be environmentally friendly. Do you think reminders like that are really um, affecting students to um, maybe use less or be more energy efficient? Well, from the behavioral perspective, um, prompts such as the Why Waste sticker or prompts that say Recycle Here um, typically do have an effect on people's behavior because oftentimes people, um, even myself, we want to do the right thing, but sometimes we don't always remember because habits are hard to break or we're just not always conscious of it because, frankly, we have a lot of stuff going on. You know, we have our own lives to run. We have, you know, a job or whatever. It's it gets overwhelming at times. So sometimes you just need a gentle reminder that says, you know, why waste turn off the lights if that's not a habit of yours or, you know, recycle here. Or, for example, in some communities, they'll hand out um, the reusable gr grocery bags like you were talking about earlier, and they'll hand out a little sticker for the inside of your dashboard of your car that says, did you remember your bags? Because I know when I first started using my bags, how many times I went to the grocery store and I completely forgot my bags at home. And here I bought them. They're sitting there waiting for me, but they just didn't make the trip with me. So sometimes all you need is a gentle reminder of what you really want to do, and that will help you nudge you on the way. But that's saying that you want to do that thing. So I think the first step is probably to become aware of what's going on 
and realize why maybe these things are important and form yourself about them or become educated in some way and then act upon them and figure out how you want to act on them. And then sometimes the gentle reminders we place around campus will help you act on what you want to believe you want to do. Very nice. So um, also, are there any other events that are coming up regarding sustainability? I know you guys had um, a Journey to Sustainability Week. Um, or are there any types of organizations that people can get involved in in case they're interested? Well, the Office of Campus Sustainability has a speaker series, and we have a, a couple of events coming up. Um, our first, our upcoming event is on October 22nd, that's a Wednesday, and Richard Loeb will be speaking about environmental education, and he wrote the book uh, detailing the No Child Left Inside Act, which is all about how we need to get children outdoors more instead of having them cooped up inside and involving environmental education as in our K-12 education as well as just our general education system. And that will be at 7.30 p.m. on October 22nd. That's a Wednesday at the MSU Auditorium. You do have to get tickets in advance, but they are free at the Wharton Center. So you can just go pick those up right before it begins. And then we have another lecture on October 28th. That's a Tuesday. Tom Princeton from U of M will be speaking about consumption and how that influences our life. Um, I think we can all kind of agree that our affluence, our need for more things, has caused a bit more trash in America, a bit more waste, and a lot more driving. So Tom Princeton will be here talking about that on October 28th at uh, 7 p.m. in 107 South Kenzie. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming. And again, where can people go for more information about what they can do to help? Uh, there's two very important websites, one being EcoFoot, that's E-C-O-Foot, F-O-T-T, F-O-O-T, dot M-S-U dot E-D-U. Another one is bspartangreen dot M-S-U dot E-D-U. And on EcoFoot, you'll find those events I just talked about. And on bspartangreen, you'll find more about the global, what we call, um, campus-wide initiative for environmental stewardship. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming in. Again, I'm talking with Lauren Olson from the Office of Campus Sustainability. You are tuned into 88.9 The Impact Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. All the game members look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. We usually get like a minute break. You're tuned in to Impact Exposure. Um, today's uh, episode is about uh, going green at MSU. And right now I'm with Robia Piper about um, the Akeley Cafeteria and their new 
organic um, food that they have, working with the Student Organic Farm, and what they're doing to create more sustainability on campus. Um, now, Rabiat, tell me about the changes that uh, Yakely has made in the past year um, to its food program. Yakely is a test site for um, some local foods, organic foods, in an effort to accomplish the um, sustainable um, initiatives that we have on campus. Some of the things we've done is we have, um, we started a program in April working with the Student Organic Farms, and two times a week we have um, a fresh harvested mixed salad greens that are delivered to Yakely, um, and that campaign is called um, three miles without construction, um, so about three and a half to four miles from the Student Organic Farm to the Yakely Cafeteria to be able to serve um, mixed greens. So it's local, organic, um, and natural greens that are coming right to the dining hall. And now um, I also heard that um, you have a new sandwich bar, and there's a lot of like organic meat there as well. Um, you guys have a actual peanut butter maker um, in the hall as well. What are some other things? We have a, um, we're serving Zingerman's breads that are delivered fresh daily. Zingerman's uses um, sometimes no more than three ingredients in their bread, and that's delivered from Ann Arbor. It's a bakery in Ann Arbor. Um, we have organic turkey, um, organic ham on our deli bar. We have organic condiments. We have organic cheeses, sliced cheeses on our deli bar, as well as leaf lettuce um, to make sandwiches. We have locally um, roasted and natural peanuts that are placed in our peanut grinder, so you can um, grind fresh peanut butter to go with our organic jams and jellies. Um, we also have organic milk, three kinds of organic milk. Um, we have organic uh, apple juice, organic orange juice. Uh, we have a juicer, so every day we have a specialty um, juice that we run that serves uh, just raw fruits and vegetables in the juices, as well as smoothies made to order, and organic uh, fair trade espressos. Wow, that's quite the list. Which is different than gas station cappuccinos, so we have right. <laughs> a real espresso machine. So. Very nice. So is this the only cafeteria on campus that has gone organic and is working with the Student Organic Farm? Yes, it is. And um, I also hear that some cafeterias, um, they go by the same menu, but does Yakely create their own menu? Yakely follows a campus menu, okay. and we enhance with some of these items. Landon, which is next door and a part of West Circle, writes their own menus. Okay. Now, why is it um, that um, y you are the only cafeteria that is working with the Student Organic Farm? Can it work with other cafeterias, or does it have a limited supply of you know, food that they can give out? The Student Organic Farms is um, doing this as part of the initiative to promote some of the urban agriculture um, they really don't want to be a producer. Um, they want to be able to uh, have the educational piece um, for um, green collar opportunities. And they have, they will finish this well. As of today, they were putting the plastic on the new hoop house that they're building for West Circle and to be able to grow some of these different products during the school year. Um, 
So October 27th, they're having a, a, what's called a vine cutting instead of a ribbon cutting for the new hoop house um, to be able to have that uh, blending of academic initiatives with service in initiatives in the halls. Okay. So it's kind of getting back to the roots of the agriculture um, beginnings that we have here at the university where we have students growing food for the students to be able to consume. Right, and this vine cutting, um, it's called the Farm to Fork Fair, um, and it's Monday, October 27th from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. And there's also a complimentary, a complimentary bus service that will be provided to pick up um, at Yakely Bus Stop at 1.15 p.m. And return rides are available at 2.45 p.m. and 3.15 p.m. Um, and also, um, oh, explain what a hoop house is for those who may not be familiar. Is it like a greenhouse? How is it different? And why, why a hoop house? A hoop house is very similar to a greenhouse, except that it's all solar-powered. And that's the difference, where a greenhouse may use other forms of energy to be able to um, grow the, the uh, products, where a hoop house is completely solar-powered. And we are able, even in Michigan, which is this educational piece, which makes it very exciting that we can grow products even in the winter, as long as you don't harvest the lettuce while it's frozen and you wait until it thaws, it will still survive mm-hmm. as long as you have sunshine. So that's the key. We need the sunshine even in those really cold January days. Right. And now I hear a lot of campuses, maybe like on the West Coast, um, can get food, um, you know, locally, you know, organically grown, um, but that it's harder um, in, let's say, like the Midwest to be able to do that because of the limited growing season. Um, do these hoop houses help with that process? And how how many other campuses in the Midwest are doing a program like this where we're buying food organically and locally? I'm not aware of any other schools in the Midwest that have this type of a program, but certainly we've heard about everything that the schools are doing on the East Coast and how they can um, be sustainable and how they can have locally grown foods and which makes it sound very simple, but how do you do that in the Midwest? And mm-hmm. so that's what makes it so exciting, and that's what ties into that piece of the urban agriculture where you can take this parking lot in the middle of downtown Flint and be able to put up a hoop house and actually have um, people coming, school children that can come and help be a part of that project. Very nice. And also, um, you guys have stopped using trays um, in the cafeteria. Um, why is that? As part of um, what other campuses are doing where they are, as part of sustainability, um, they have gone trayless. And so we decided to experiment with it in one hall, which is Yakely, to be able to go trayless in an effort to help save on energy um, in the washing of the trays. We probably go through between seven to 10,000 trays a week at Yakely, as well as the soap and any type of post-consumer waste. Very nice. So what has been the reaction to people? I mean, because as univer- or college students, a lot of people are very busy, stressed out. They get to the cafeteria, want a quick bite to eat. Um, are you seeing people that are frustrated with not being able to have a tray to put everything on at once? 
the very first day, we have trays that are available upon request. So if somebody really wants a tray, they can have a tray. The first day that we did it, which this today marks day nine, they we gave away eight trays, mm-hmm. and that was it. And so far, we've really, as of the last couple of days, haven't been giving away more than one tray a day. And so the reaction seems to be very favorable. Um, the studies have shown that there can be around just with a school in Michigan. They um, measured this two weeks ago and said that the study shows they saved 950 pounds of post-consumer waste just by using the trays. We will measure that. We have measured post-consumer waste in the past when they were um, collecting data for the anaerobic digester that they were reviewing for um, campus. And so we will take some of those measurements and measure in a couple of weeks once it's been established, the program, to test some of the post-consumer waste. Now, um, what do you mean by post-consumer waste? Is it just the extra soap that's there, or are people even just getting less food, um, not wasting as much food? What does that entail? Correct. That's a part of it, Mm -hmm. Um, not wasting as much food. Um, We found that most people are favorable with the uh, very few people have been um, inconvenienced mm-hmm. by it because it, there is a very, very small distance that you do have to travel to retrieve your food items and then pick up your dishes once you've finished and dropped them off. Another part of that is we have a subveyor where the trays were actually placed onto a subveyor and sent down to the basement to the dish room. And we would run that subveyor for 10 hours a day nonstop just mm-hmm. to be able to put the tray in it. And so now we actually take the items downstairs on bus carts with bus tubs. And so you're saving in those terms as well. But you may have people that decide that they don't really want to have that second entree or they're eating just what's in front of them, taking time to actually contemplate what's before them and all that they're consuming. Oh, very nice. So um, my final question is, do you see other universities or other residence halls on campus to kind of follow in Yakely's footsteps on sustainability? We hope so. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much. Again, I'm with Rovia Piper from the Yakely Cafeteria to talk about sustainability. You're listening to Impact Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
you're tuned to Impact Exposure. This Today's episode is about going green and sustainability at NSU. Right now I'm here with Adam Williams um, from PowerVote to talk about uh, wind turbines in Michigan and America and the importance of clean energy economy. Now tell me a little bit about wind turbines. Wind turbines. What would you like to know? Um, just just describe what they are and, and how um, what their purpose is and how they can help um, Michigan and the U.S. Okay, well, first off, let me start out by saying we've been using wind machines as a civilization and a people um, as far back as 200 B.C. Um, the Persian culture used it. Um, what What happened was they would use the wind power and put it into direct mechanical energy so they could press flour or various other mechanical tasks. The wind turbines that we're talking about today convert wind energy into electrical, ener- into electrical energy and uh, that we can put onto our grid and power our homes and whatever else we need. So what, other th- what things do um, wind turbines typically um, provide power to? It goes straight into the grid. So whatever nuclear power or coal power or anything would power, that's what wind power powers. Oh. Interesting. So, um, in Michigan, when I the I've only seen a few wind turbines, and that is at Horrocks Farm Market over in Lansing and by the Mackinac Bridge. Um, where else are they in Michigan, and where they where are they prevalent? There's only three locations of wind farms, wind mm-hmm. farms, not just singular mm-hmm. wind turbines in Michigan. Um, we have two locations, I believe, in the Thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, a location in Mackinac City and also in Traverse City. Okay. And because um, I also heard that the, the most wind that we're going to get is by the coasts and then mm-hmm. the um, The West uh, Coast is the... Uh, the West Coast. W- one of the highest energy places across the United States. So the West Coast of Michigan, all the wind that comes across the M- Lake Michigan. Right. And so um, when I've been talking to people, let's say, that have cottages up north and they're paying for propane you know let's say over the winter time they're trying to you know kind of heat their cottages and they're paying monthly for these propane bills um but they're not even using their cottages um so things that people have been thinking about like let's say if they are on the coast of lake michigan is to use these you know wind turbines and so how i understand it works is that um it generates all this power from the wind, and it goes into this grid. Mm-hmm. And so you aren't paying for this energy, but when you are going to go back to your cottage, um, you just pay back the energy that you're just going to need you know, for, let's say, that week or so. Is that how it usually works? What usually happens is land is bought and a wind farm is put in by a company or a family or um, whoever would like to create one, and it goes straight into the grid. So it's not on a personal basis mm-hmm. so much. It'd be like if you were going to buy energy from an energy company, then you could get wind power or nuclear power or whatever they have. So you can't just get a windmill and put it on your roof? You could. Oh, okay. Not on your roof. You you can buy a personal 30-foot-tall windmill. Um, the power is limited, of course. But the main goal of uh, or our main mission would be theoretically to get wind farms across Michigan because Michigan has quite the potential. Now, um... I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, MSU goes off of, I think, coal for power. Um, how much, uh, how of a, I guess, um, what would it take for MSU to convert to wind power instead? Would it 
do you think it would benefit us in the long run to switch over to that? MSU, um, as as an, as East Lansing and part of that grid, would benefit just as much as any other part of the grid would. Mm-hmm. You have to look at it in a way that everywhere pulls energy, so all the energy goes one spot, and then it all goes, and it's all distributed. Um, technically, I guess you could say, yes, the wind turbines in Mackinac City would power the grid up in Mackinac City. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we were to, in fact, put wind farms across the coast, it wouldn't necessarily directly hit Michigan State University unless that was the majority of the power. Mm-hmm. So there are other solutions too, like solar power or geother- geothermal for um, heating and cooling. Um, but wind farms as a whole, we're just trying to get the state's energy consumption down, not certain cities. So out of all the different ways that you can get energy, would you say that um, wind turbines is the best? It's definitely one of the most feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that expensive. Um we we can produce Michigan has the potential for somewhere around seven and a half thousand megawatts of wind potential. So we have quite a lot. We're the fourteenth highest state of wind potential, oh, wow. including California, Texas, all the big players. So. Yeah, because I was reading something about solar power, and they had this whole um, the big map of the U.S. and they had you know different colors for how much sun really goes there, and you see somewhere right. like Arizona where it's red, and then over in Michigan where it's just gray, you know, not yeah. worth your time. <laughs> um, but something like wind power would make sense, especially, you know, if it's if you're going to put those uh, wind farms or however, what's the proper word is, um, on the coasts of the West Coast, um, I feel like it'd be a lot more beneficial. Um, so now what you're involved in PowerVote. What's PowerVote? PowerVote is an organization um, where the people at MSU are run under the Michigan Student Sustainability Sustainability Coalition. But PowerVote is a nationwide organization that is trying to get one million voters across America, young voters, that will pledge to vote for clean and just energy. And those are things like restructuring of buildings to use less energy, um, converting away from coal and nuclear, so supporting wind, solar, geothermal, all those types of things. And um, there's di- uh, at every campus of major universities in Michigan, such as U of M, Wayne State, Western, they all have power vote campaigns similar to ours. Now, when I was at the Obama rally on Thursday, I saw people walking around with huge cardboard windmills. Was mm-hmm. that you guys? That was us. <laughs> so what did you guys do that day? Um, we had a planning meeting the Saturday prior and we needed to make an impact and a man, a gentleman down in, I believe, Virginia, don't quote me on that, but created 30 PVC pipe windmills for a rally of sorts. And we decided that we were going to make a showing at the Obama rally to the thousands of visitors that showed up. So we made 10, 11 foot tall cardboard windmills. Okay, very nice. For wind turbines. Okay. Um, so where can people go for more information about wind turbines? And, or their, you know, the pros and cons of it? Is there any, like, a certain website that you would suggest that people can go to? Well, if you're looking for things based on Michigan um, specifically, uh, I would just 
check online. There's various articles about um, what's currently happening, what organizations are for and against, what the current potential rate is, all those sorts of things. But online is probably your best bet. Now, where in the U.S., um, first where in the U.S. and then in the world are wind turbines used the most, do you think? The highest percentage of a grid being powered by wind turbines is in Denmark, and I believe it's at 14%. No, 19%, I'm sorry. Okay. And they're used um, in various other places across Europe. The leading wind turbine um, country is Germany, and the United States is second. However, comparatively, the United States is 0.8% of their entire energy is by wind turbines. Right. So it's little compared to how much we use. Do you see the U.S. using wind turbines more in the next few years? For sure. I, uh, we have some great potential here. Um, just as you said of the map of solar power, there's maps of wind potential, mm-hmm. and the whole western side of our country is capable, and Lake Michigan is also very capable. All right. So now that we're closing up for the hour, is there anything else that you would like to talk about concerning wind turbines? Not so much wind turbines. Um, I'd like to say some more about PowerVote, my organization. Um, We're always looking for volunteers of sorts, and we have, um, we always, I don't know how I should say this. Um, Basically, we have a website, PowerVote.org. It's an excellent resource for links to other sites for renewable energy resources, and it's a main standing point for where we as a whole point our interests. Okay. Well, thank you very much again for coming in. I'm with Adam Williams from PowerVoite to talk about um, wind turbines. You're tuned into Impact Exposure. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.